Hello and welcome to episode 23 of the Surreya Global Fantasy Football Podcast. This week, myself, Hybe, and you'll never walk alone, are delighted to be joined by both GBO21 and John Nellis to talk about their journey so far on the platform and how they, they found Surreya. Having a, a bit of a look at how does Surreya compare with other platforms they've been using, so Footstock and, and Football Index, amongst others, and I look at some of the, the common misconceptions about Surreya. I know, John, you've you put a, a really good video recently on that, so we'll, we'll chat about that a bit further. And then we'll also take a, a look ahead to Game Week 142. So welcome, guys. Love to have you both on. Thanks very much for having us. Yeah, cheers, guys. Yeah, welcome, welcome. Always good to have uh, some, some new fresh blood on the pod. I'm actually gutted. I'm not going to lie to you. And this sounds like I'm kissing your arses, but it's one of my favourite podcasts. I look forward to each week. And there's not a mission I'm listening back to myself, so I'm without the pod this week. Well, that's always good to hear from someone who's been doing this for a, a lot longer than, than I have and to a much higher standard with your, not at all. your FI and, and Footstock stuff. So that's fantastic feedback, John. Thank you. But I think I've yeah. learned a lot from your, yourself, both on social media and, and also from the pod. So yeah, helping Thanks. each other. I think as all these communities combine and collide, we're all picking up either subliminally or, or directly from one another. You know, things to look out for, things to be aware of, you know, things that we can all benefit from, things to things to avoid. So uh, I know we're going to cover these different platforms in a bit more depth today. But yeah, I think even as someone that's only flirted with other platforms, it's still valuable for me to get input and information from those that do use them because it can only be of benefit to decisions that you make. Mm-hmm. So who's going to kick off? George, John, who wants to go for it? Go on, I'll, t- I'll take it. Um, <laughs> so yeah, um, I've joined Sora back in the summer, um, sort of scrolling through Football Index Twitter one day, coming across actually you two uh, have a conversation about it. And I think I, I messaged Ibby at the time actually, uh, got involved then. Uh, I think the referral code might have been uh, slightly screwed up, so I didn't actually get a referral award, which is still a bit of a ball lake, you know, but I've worked around that now. Um, and I think straight away, my first round, so I saw I saw the value in it. I saw, I think I saw, I was looking at the tournaments, I was looking at the sort of average scores at the time, and I thought, oh, these thresholds look very gettable. This is back when it wasn't an ETH award, it was a, it was a player award uh, for hitting a threshold. And I thought, you know, if I, if I can win even, you know, one tier three, a week or one tier three every couple of weeks, uh, then I can quite quickly make back any initial investment, sell on card to profit, that sort of thing. So I think I saw I saw the power of it pretty early on. Um, the scarcity factor obviously may, remaining a big one, and it's it's kind of more similar to to like an ultimate team almost in the way in the way you trade cards. Um, so I think that also appealed in some ways, whereas you're not you're not up against like a market of hundreds of cards at a time like you might be uh, on uh, footstock uh, and football index obviously is you know a much larger market altogether i think the kind of the small scale of the kind of trading uh, person to person was also kind of really appealing and yeah really really liked all that side of things i, I think coming from a football index footstock background uh, i'm always quite open-minded about these sort of kind of alternative gambling platforms football index was obviously great for a while um i'm not quite as active on there or i'm not i'm not very active on there really anymore uh, i've still got a little bit in there but i think it has kind of got a bit boring now. I hate to say that, but that's the way I find it. You know, in its heyday, it was great fun where you had sort of Greenwood coming off the bench for the first time, going up 50p and whatnot. That was when it was great. And, you know, the, the transfer side of things was really good. You know, I think, I think that that you know, those days have passed really. And I think so is really kind of taking me up in terms of taking up a lot of my time now uh, in comparison to what, to what Football Index is. So just to inject there, when you're looking at these or when you're playing these different platforms, you've given a hint there as to what captivates you and, you know, what motivates you. You know, what, taking all of the experience that you've got from the various places, what is it you ultimately want to be spending your time doing? If you could find that one, you know, utopian platform that has everything, is Surreal quite there yet? What's Surreal missing? Or, you know, what would you what would you like to uh, come up I with? Think, yeah, I really, I really think Surreal is a fantastic product. I'm yeah, really, really enjoying it so far. I think it takes up probably too much of my time, if anything. <laughs> um, I think we all find it quite addictive, you know, spending a lot of time looking at auctions, looking for bargains, that sort of thing. But no, I think I think it's, it's just a really great platform. I think one thing I really would say is one of the great things about it is on Football Index, you're competing for obviously dividends every day, but there can only be maybe three winners, four winners, um, depending on kind of what type of day it is. With so rare, every kind of score that your players get matters it's not it's not a matter of oh Messi got a big score that's it I'm, I'm done I'm happy you know you, you don't just need your Neymars and Mbappes to fire you need your Navases to fire you need your um, Lorenzo's or whoever to fire as well so I think the fact that every score makes a difference um, someone shopping in the European Champions League <laughs> I can't afford that <laughs> no, no more injuries actually kill me for this coming game week to be honest basically you know every score matters um, I think that's a real real kind of 
big big point. Um, also, I really like the obscurity of it. I think I think the fact that you have so many leagues that let's face it, most of us would never even like have dream of watching or or thinking about. You know, when you start seeing these like K League players coming on or whatever, um, the obscurity of some of the players I think leaves a hole in people's kind of knowledge uh, and a bit of research can go can take you a long way can probably take you a lot further than it can on footstock football index where most of the players are much better known have you uh you know from from your time on Sarah have you taken on board you know more knowledge from from various leagues do you you avoid certain leagues or do you look forward to uh, getting stuck into some some of the newer ones yeah I've tried to get stuck in I, I made the mistake actually of, of jumping into MLS a bit too quickly like that 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 basically came out maybe within my first sort of couple of weeks, and I saw all these new cars and I wanted to get involved straight away. I think it was kind of around the MLS's back tournament and there wasn't that much going on at the time. So I was kind of got stuck in there, definitely overpaid quite a bit for some really average players. Um, I'm not but, so sure. Looking at your Carlos Gill pickup, £14. Yeah, that was, that was a little bit That was a little bit after. I was a little bit better educated as to what would go okay. on. I think, I think I paid about 0.25 for Frankowski that you could have picked up a 0.01 about two months later. There was an Albert Rusnak as well, who I think is a good player, but he performed last year. You, you can get him quite a bit cheaper. I mean, I mean, let's face it, with you know, with these going up as much as it has, you couldn't really make a bad buy back then. But you know, comparatively, You've got a couple of mean-looking Joseph Martinez is ready for next season. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I've been waiting a long time on those. Been waiting a long time on those, and I'm looking forward to that. Um, yeah, I think he was probably one of my first kind of really big buys, and that was again probably when I wasn't really researching players quite enough. I don't think I realised just how long he was out for when I bought him, um, but I'm sure he'll return the goods as and when he's back. So you with uh, was it MLS now? Not back till April, is it? Uh, yeah, we still, we, still, we still got another sixty days, so uh, yeah, there'll be a little bit more uh, shuffling of the pack before uh, that one kicks off, and we'll already hopefully be a few weeks into the Asian leagues as well by that stage. Yeah, I don't know how, but I'm actually quite excited for K League and J League to start. It's something I never thought I'd ever say before. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think you know everyone I speak to seems to be really excited for the, the start of those two leagues. It could be really good. I think that was actually one of the kind of things that really got me got me going on the platform. Actually, was was the K League. I got quite involved with that reasonably early. Managed to put together a pretty strong team. I got I got on um, from John Ho from uh, John Book more by luck than anything before they changed the scoring and before we became a bit of a beast. Yeah, it did really well in in that division. I think Division Three was it was just like so uncompetitive for a little while, and that really helped me kind of win a bit of ETH, win a few kind of super rares and that sort of thing it really got me kind of kicking on the platform yeah for me when i hear the hype around the k league and j league now it's almost like wow these have got the capability of capturing people's attention more so than the belgian league and the belgian league everyone took to their heart for you know the first 18 months and i think everyone's probably still got a couple of uh, j uh, jupiter league players that they uh, you know always hold and, uh, and 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 value and cherish uh, it's amazing what the the attachment that you can get you're dangling old son john how on the market though i see at the moment oh, everyone on the market yeah it's kind of a strategy um i kind of list everything at prices i feel like i can replace them yep. for um so when i kind of get around to it that's what i do and it, it seems to work all right you know how do you deal with all the emails keep it fresh oh yeah just ignore ignore those skip through those get get a lot of dodgy offers coming in nowadays with new um that new option to send offers for cards on the market but oh, i apologize for those <laughs> You do. I, I, I get some where, you know, it's literally 0.01 that they're trying to knock off. What's the point? Just buy the card, you know, and it doesn't it doesn't end up getting the, the person that card much cheaper. I guess it's, it's over a tenner nowadays, though, isn't it? That, that's like 0.05 when I first started. So I True, it is. Yeah, maybe we have to, to readjust. No, I was going to say, I actually don't mind the ones that are trying to look for a bit, a small bit of discount as much as I, I hate the ones. Like I got offered like a tenner for like a Nemecha, you know, you got Anderlecht the other day. And it's like, what are you even wasting your time for? You're hoping I have a misclick here. I block the people who do that because that, that's just poor form. Do you know that? Yeah, yeah. And there's enough of them. And I think yeah. you do tend to find that as a new joiner. And it's something I've heard from quite a lot of new managers. They feel like they've almost been targeted as a, a new manager with a lot of these offers. Um, and it is poor form. And it, it will put people off but I think in general that, that secondary market is really useful and having the ability to, mm. to actually make a, a counter offer on what somebody's listed can be really powerful something we were crying out for for ages you, you saw players that you wanted listed there on the, the transfer market but maybe you were just short a, a small amount of ETH to actually make that deal so it allows you to at least to make that counter offer and I think the next stage when we're able to then have a bit more in-game communication that'll, that'll just tighten that up even more so you'll be able to make 
take that counter offer with a, a bit of text, a bit of context, and, and have that discussion with a manager, actually engage with them rather than having to do that outside via, via Twitter or Discord. So that should make it a lot easier as well. Yeah, if we could, if we could be able to counter the counter as well, a bit easier. Yeah, I think it's something that they want, aren't they? So it seems like from what they said that they want to add that, uh, but also seem reluctant to allow people to ask for ETH, which is probably fair as well. Yeah, I think so. So thanks for, for that, George. Let's hear from, from John then. How did you come onto the platform, Surreal, and how have you found it so far? So I think it was you and Quinny just pestering the... The hell yeah. hashtag and sliding yep. in the DMs for months on end. It was it was retargeting as the that's what got me. Uh, but I was glad I took the plunge. I think late September ETH was probably around three or four hundred quid per coin. And just looking back now, it's funny how what I considered to be expensive in terms of players then, just with the inflation and ETH and the growth in the platform, it's like, geez, I wish it went balls deep then. Yeah. But still, for me at the time, I put in a significant amount of money for something that I was just kind of dabbling in, and very quickly kind of got hooked. And yeah. It's, it's by of all the platforms now well they all have different things going for them in my opinion like it's the one that i engage with the most and i think engagement is a big metric i think it's it's properly gripping and i think the global dynamic while when i first signed up i kind of said i'm only going to focus in europe i think that's a big misconception we'll get on to as well but sort of said i'll focus on the leagues i know i don't have time for more football little did i know last week i was watching bruges play <laughs> through paddy Parr. do you know what i mean and i'm looking forward to the k league and j league so it's like it just does that to you doesn't it on a two on a two inch by two inch uh, screen or did you did you able to blow it up no i got it on the laptop and zoomed in so it was kind of i don't know what's that like a 10 inch screen but still not great no commentary very um, grainy yeah but big hands vanagan you can't miss him you just can't miss him. So yeah, he thankfully he stands out. But yeah, I think just I'm glad I've got on board with it now and I'm I'm properly active on it. Of all the platforms, it's the one that I'm most engaged with in terms of engagement time and financially. So I'm really enjoying it. Looking forward to to what's to come in the summer. And on the notes here that uh, Hybe preps uh, in advance and I look at it about three minutes to six. Got you down here. It's Big John Danny Pareco Nellis. Oh, for God's what's, sake. What's the story? What's the story going there? <laughs> Oh, Danny, Danny Parejo. He broke my heart is what happened, Mark. Yeah. He broke my heart. It just was my biggest hold on football index for some time. It just kept going down and I didn't know why. Don't have one so rare yet, though. Might have to look into it. He's actually put in some monster scores. Yeah, he's a popular card, yeah. And, and also a short print having transferred out from Valencia. Mm. Yeah, we nearly done a deal on one, didn't we? Then I it came to my better <laughs> senses. I thought, no, I'm not, I'm not, not getting into bed with you again. Not another Ruben Diaz situation. It, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I think like you have here in the notes just talking about sort of overlap between the, the different platforms and what I enjoy. So I did list a very, very small few bullet points. And I think between the three big ones I'm in, I'm also into soccer cards, which I, I could talk about briefly if you're interested. I think there's a lot that SoRare could do for the collecting side of things. I think so. I think there's definitely a market there mm. and people who are involved in traditional soccer cards. Yeah, it could absolutely come into to this space. And it's, a, it's going to be the, the future of football collecting, I think. I think, well, let, let's hear from you. You, you're in both spaces yeah I'm curious as well because I don't follow I follow a few people in that click physical football cards and that's only because of what you know gets spurted up on my Twitter feed and so I've thrown a few more follows just to see people there but you're the only person that I know to speak to that actively buys physical cards and plays in the digital games as well and from what I see uh, which is very limited uh, admittedly the mindset of someone that prefers to buy physical cards it seems that they have a stigma or maybe they find it very tough to to transfer over into into the virtual world as well it's like no i'm, I'm a physical man I'm, mm. I'm not getting involved in the these digital things you see well we're going the soccer card talk first then like if you want we can go back to fi and footstock but I, I don't really care if we do but in terms of the soccer card side of things obviously there's purists there's people who just love they, they grew up opening packets of cards and stickers particularly in the states it's different in europe that that, that kind of soccer card hobbies really only came to light and really grown in the past year but there's a lot of people who are diehard into the actual cardboard and love it and it obviously it's the nostalgia from being a kid maybe going to card shows with their dad or their mom or whoever um so maybe transitioning them over to crypto and ethereum and being on the blockchain maybe that is a bit tougher than some um, do you think they think it's just a fad it's just a phase it's gonna maybe be just... maybe but i think the likes of this nba top shot stuff in the nft space that's come out has really shown the potential to a lot of people uh, particularly in america because obviously a lot of them who are into sports cards are kind of learning about soccer i'm on clubhouse that new app a lot talking to a lot of them and uh but they'd be into their basketball and this nba top shots i think has opened a lot of people's minds i think it is actually great for so rare that top shots is doing what it's doing 
albeit they're completely different. And I think Sorare is a better rounded product in terms of the game and in terms of the intrinsic value in the actual cards due to the ETH they can churn out, et cetera, et cetera. But I do think more and more people will come to realize and appreciate the the sort of transition. It's 2021, baby. Do you know, like we're moving into this new digital age and if things, if there's NFTs out there selling for one and a half million or hundreds of thousands, why can't cards be the next thing? I think the one sort of challenge Sorare could have is that there's a few Panini and Tops are so recognized in the card collecting scene that maybe if Panini and Tops have their own blockchain products, which I'm aware they do, if they promote them correctly, maybe people will just look at so rare as some random fantasy football game and it won't really get the respect on the card. Do you know, I think maybe they could do more to design and, and make the cards look a bit prettier. I was actually talking to Brian the other day, sort of suggesting a few things. One of the big things they could do to kind of appeal to collectors is rookie cards. Yeah, there's, there's definitely an appetite from some managers in the game for, for that kind of thing. And I think mm. as as this thing grows, there potentially would be a more of a, a demand to, to really look at that collectible side in, in more detail. It gets messy in football. It does. It gets messy, and I'll tell you why. So, in like American sports, traditionally, they like players actually have a rookie year where that is their rookie year, and there's no disputing that that just is what it is. Whereas in football, it's a bit more of a grey area, and this is a big issue with card companies at the minute. They're they're spouting out these cards of young players, left, right, and center, and they're putting what's called an RC logo on them. That's a rookie card logo, and that kind of implies this is this player's rookie card. Trust us, put respect on that. But they're they'll be putting out rookie cards for the players' first two or three seasons or two or three cards at times, which is kind of a bit farcical. Where it comes awkward with so rare is like, okay, what do they constitute as a rookie? Is it the first time they're printed on so rare? Are they a rookie? Is it, do you know, like if, if they've never had a license in a club and it's the first so rare card printed, is that his so rare rookie or is it not? Do we talk about first professional contracts? Do we talk about first appearances in the pitch? Do we, do you know, it, it's grey. Um, I think that can only be determined over time by those that own the cards themselves. Uh, yeah. You know, the, and, you know, between the managers that play and the community if there is such a thing it might never it might never come to fruition but uh you know i think there are some people that go right well that very first one of a hundred you know let's say we we got a club launch some people even go for the fact that i want that very first player from the club and that was the first one of that club whoever the player is it's like well i've got the first atlas card that came out last week for example i don't mm. but that's just an example and yeah i guess looking at Cherky as an example whether or not he kicked a ball prior to that card being released or not. For me, that's not important. Is the one of 100 more important than the 10 of 100? Yeah, I think there's marginal um, a moment value proposition to paying a little bit extra for the one over the over the 10 or a subsequent serial number, but it's not proven yet. You know, there's, there's, a, there's a trend and people ask, you know, okay, maybe that's slightly better bait material for a future trade and, and so forth. But uh, I don't think there's any written rules or anything that maybe does exist, as you're saying, in the physical world where you get something with the right stamp with the right year and it's like you've opened up the magic pack and you know that's it that's paid for everything for for the rest of the box it, it is a bit though like i opened a box recently called tops chrome sapphire it was a pretty premium box like but what made it premium almost is that it's got Haaland and fatty rookies and but can't, they, they, there's stickers and cards out before these but these have this rc logo on them and it's almost like the company probably shouldn't have put them there but they're there and that adds a lot of value because people it's a very respected premium product i'm kind of digressing but in terms of so rare i do think looking ahead whenever they get released whenever they release new cards and new seasons and there's youth players that maybe haven't been seen or heard of before or they can't retrospectively do it obviously but going forward they should look at putting that just as their own they can it, the RC logo is kind of across different tops, Panini, uh, Futera, these different companies. So I'm pretty sure So Rare could use it as well, but it would just add that little stamp of approval. Like this is the first card we've seen of this on So Rare of this player. And I think that would really appeal to the collectors. Uh, I really do. Obviously, serial numbers are, are another thing, but I think even just knowing if, if we expect So Rare to go where we all expect it to go over the next five, 10 years, looking back and one of the cards having, well, Ryan Cherky's gone. Who isn't on the platform yet? Fatty with an RC. That, that could be worth a lot of money. Haaland with an RC. That could be worth a lot of money in, in five or ten years' time to collectors, you know? Well, one of the things I know that uh, Nicholas gets bored of me just harping on about each time now is that I, I was around when the cards had a back to them. And on the back, you had the logo of the team. You had, you know, the position, how much XP they'd accumulated. So it might still be, you know, yes, the fronts of the cards, to my knowledge, can't be, you know, changed or altered 
once they've been uh, created on the blockchain. But there's no reason that we can't return at some point to having a two-sided card. And maybe on the flip of the card, we could have, you know, as you, as you suggest there, the RC stamp, uh, along with other pertinent stats, you know, uh, relating to that card. Be, I'd be very up for... Speaking on that. Yeah, yeah, flying the flag for, for getting a, re, uh, a revival of the reverse of the card. Because, uh, you know, as much as I like these at the moment, I think that would also give uh, perhaps a little bit more feeling towards a card that you you can get in the physical world where you know people are looking at both sides and go okay you get this and and you see everything there and there's a lot of real estate that can still be used in my opinion on 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 the reverse side yeah Yeah. i saw your um i saw your thing on discord actually mark at the time is it a mark noble card with the back of it yes that's it yeah i think it'd be really cool to see how many times that card has been involved like a podium or something like that would be a really cool thing to add to the back of a card just something i thought about when i saw it i think uh, i think hg has gone one step further with surreal data and you can actually go and take a look at certain cards you can take a look at a card now yeah see how many winning lineups that's been in how much eth or what other yeah, exactly, what, prize, yeah. what prize cards and i think that's great because at the moment you know we always have a bit of fun on discord in terms of oh this person's undercutting me da, 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 because the cards you know all the rare cards look the same you know bar the serial number and if they're unless, you know you've got one with a slight misprint or something all the cards are the same nobody really pays that much attention i don't think to oh, this one's level five, this one's level seven. It's like you either want the card or you don't, and you're going to go for most likely the cheapest one unless you see a a serial number that you're prepared to pay a slight premium for. Uh, Whereas if the cards had a reverse to them and if they told a bit more of a story and, oh, you've got a Mark Noble card that's been involved in 50 tournament wins versus a Mark Noble that that had three tournament wins, then that might have some bearing on, you know, okay, well, that one maybe does have a little bit, uh, uh, is worth paying a slight premium for. And, you know, I've now got the most successful Mark Noble card in the game regardless of what serial number he is, and that could take on a, another a variable in the, in the in the transfer market to get people to to build a history onto the card before then, you know, selling it on. Or not building a history as well. So there might be those who want to buy only fresh cards that have, have not been used by other managers. Yeah, there's the 1 and 10 Ronaldo from the first season, which is just sitting there on the market. It's constantly yeah. sitting on the market. Yeah, as, as you said there, it's, it's a card that has never been used in the tournament. Now, that might appeal to somebody. I think it's a very brave you know the, the amount of tournaments that car could and should have maybe been used in since uh, since the one of ten back in you know Q3 2019. Geez, I mean you put yeah. you know, four <laughs> average people around that and you would have walked away with 50 prize cards guaranteed. Yeah. But but somebody has decided that no, obviously because of what they might have seen in in the physical world where you can grade it to a very high level or certain NFTs where you you want the provenance of only having one one owner one transaction maybe that person will get paid off at some point in the future but one last thing just on the collectible side that i had written down here just to throw out there it was parallels and they have obviously team of the year and like these man of the match ones coming out now i'm loving the special weeklies they're doing recently by the way but maybe there is more potential down the line not to affect the utility and the actual bonuses etc on offer of cards and um, but within their kind of minting system where they're going to mint them anyway maybe taking a note out of the likes of the top shots book of moments could they have like you know wait until players not necessarily wait but at times if you're planning to mint next week anyway and this week someone does something special on the pitch scores a hat trick as you say on the back of the card maybe have the recent memory of when that card was minted or a special moment that happened. Let's say Portugal go and win the Euros. You know, could Ronaldo's minted cards for ne- that the one that's minted that week for next season or whatever have some sort of give some sort of props to that win that happened that week in time with the card? Maybe then you're getting this kind of moment and more collectible aspect on specific numberings. It's just a thought, or even just doubling or doubling down and making more parallels. These these special ones do look great. I mean, there's some that you know I think. We've all got our own preferences out of the ones that have been there. My personal preference is still the PSG ones, which I think tell a story in themselves with the 50th anniversary stamp and so forth. But hey, I, I 100% agree. And that's what I would like. You know, if I've laid down five cards that have all done particularly well that have you know, got me onto the podium or won me a tournament on a given week, I'd like that to be noted somewhere. Uh, even if it's just for, you know, my own personal gallery and say, okay, yeah, well, I'm now selling a card which has got, you know, a stacked history to it. Don't jinx it. <laughs> you can buy it off me. Maybe it'd be successful for you as well. But I think anything we can do to differentiate these base of 100 rares and 10 super rares, uh, I think will then help, you know, create a more variety in the, in, in the market pricing as well. So how do you how do you, how do you cope with all, all, all these things? That you got Footstop, Football Index, what other, what other platforms are you on? <laughs> well, you see, that's the beauty of it. I think in terms of the actual platforms themselves, I'm conscious to let George speak here, but like FI, I think at the minute, just the way I'm playing it, it's very passive. 
I'm not really looking at it too often. Yeah. I'm basically building up here, John, to accuse you of being a bot because you, there can't be enough hours in the day. So you must be well, one of these guys that's building the bots for everything. Yeah? I'm, a, I'm an air traffic controller. We get a lot of time off and there aren't many planes flying. So it was actually when we talked to my girlfriend today, I was saying like, there's no way I can keep up the content and stuff I'm doing when life comes back, you know? Just as well, they aren't flying. Exactly. This is getting me through uh, through lockdowns. But I think with FI and Footstock at the minute, for me, they're both very passive. FI, I've just bought players. I'm leaving them sit there. They'll win dividends over time wonderful footstock i've entered a bunch of 100k free roll teams and picking up their their cheap european auction players occasionally if they're youngsters i like that's why so rare is the one i'm engaging with the most and soccer cards is just a kind of hobby outside that that i keep the air to the ground and listen to a couple of podcasts a week what's your favorite physical card that you got in your collection at the moment i got a oh god it's you know it's really bad like my favorite one like almost trolling myself i got a, a john walters (laughs) <laughs> of course, he played for Ireland. Signature card, numbered to like five or something. That's my favourite for trolling myself, but I actually got a lovely um, Yaya Toure autograph card there the other day, and I got an Ryan Robin one with some match-worn memorabilia. I like it. But there are more expensive ones, like the Haaland rookies and stuff can be pretty lucrative, but um, in terms of favourite ones, I think I, it goes back to when I was a kid. Actually, I lied to you. Sorry, I'm going off on one. My favourite one is actually from when I was about eight years old. I collected stickers. And in the doubles in a wee box that were in the attic, sealed, kept well, thankfully, somehow. There was a Ronaldo sticker from his first year playing for Man United, and it was in pristine condition. Like So I have it, and it's one that I actually bought unknowingly about 15 years ago. That's even sweeter, nice. isn't it? Yeah. yeah, makes it a bit nicer. Anyway, there's enough about collecting football cards, but I do think so rare could really market better to that kind of part of the world and that, that hobby. So yeah. talking about them marketing better, that probably takes us on to the next section we we're going to look at. So some of the, the common misconceptions are, that surround Surreir. So I think we've all probably seen it from conversations we've had with other managers and other individuals on, on different platforms. Some of the, the blockers for them maybe joining or, or wanting to join Surreir in the first place. You know, John, you've done a, a really good video that touches on some of the, the key areas there recently. I'm scrolling through your, your videos and you have that many. I'm struggling to actually find it right now. Because you <laughs> seem to be doing one every day at the yeah. moment. It's yeah, crazy. That is some amount of content. So having Imagine. lack of time is a common misconception. <laughs> John, John, John's proved that over and over again. Time, time's not not important. You, you can find time. Absolutely. John, obviously you've done that video. Why don't you you lead us off? Yeah, I'm conscious here. I'm taking all George's t- time. Sorry, mate. But um, <laughs> the um, I suppose the the big ones for me. I, I looked at it from like a football index perspective and footstock. I don't know to the wider kind of world of nfts etc but in terms of like football index users or maybe footstock users there was a few one of the biggest things i think is ethereum a lot of people i talk to think they're gambling both on the card and ethereum's price the way i like to look at it and i know it doesn't exactly translate to so rare but it can be hard to kind of work out because obviously there's a lot of onboarding prices will rise naturally over time so it's hard to equate what is due to ethereum's price going up and what is what is due to increased demand in terms of the rise in prices of late. The way I look at it is a card is worth what a card is worth. You can look at it in a million different currencies. The card is worth what the card is worth. And if Ethereum goes through the floor, you just have to pay more Ethereum. If the, if Ethereum goes through the roof, you just have to pay less Ethereum. That's the way I look at it. I don't yep. know if it translates directly, but that's how I try and justify it to people. People seem to think, but if I go and spend a load of Ethereum on the card, then Ethereum crashes, I'm screwed. And it's like, well, no, you still have the card and the card's worth what the card's worth. Do, do you know? Yeah, that, that's typically what I'll, I'll tell somebody. I get that question all the time. And it's, what if ETH drops 50% tomorrow? Well, if it, if it dropped 100%, the price you'd pay for a card would still be... I normally say 80 to 120% of what you would have paid for that price yesterday in the, in fiat terms. You would just be paying more for that card in, in terms of the ETH amount. And, and obviously all that goes on, on the flip side as well. If ETH rises, you're going to be paying a, a lower amount there, but potentially the, the same or a slightly larger fiat amount because it's a, a growing platform. But I typically find it's, it's user demand and yeah. form that is dictating the price. And, and really, in the, in the last few months, form has been the big one. User demand, obviously, we're, we're seeing thousands of, of users now all competing for maybe 10 to 100 of one individual player. So there's obviously going to be that increase in, in price there. Like yourself, John, I don't think it's directly linked to the ETH price. Obviously, we've, we've seen significant rises of late. I think that does play into some of the, the rises we've seen on the platform. I think some of that is more sentimental rises. So as the users who are, have already backed this platform and are, are confident in ETH as well, thinking, 
well, this is a perfect place for, for me to, to invest a bit more money. And in doing so, and in seeing more users join the platform at the same time, we're seeing price rises. It's not necessarily just due to ETH rising itself. What, what do you think, George? What have you yeah, seen yeah, since you've come on? I've had this conversation with a few people. I think when I first started, I was quite wary, reasonably wary about ETH. Um, I kind of wanted to get involved in crypto anyway, so I was probably a bit more kind of welcoming to it. Than maybe others are, but the, the sort of the correlation with the price of cards versus ETH is a really interesting one. I think since since I've joined, ETH's only really gone up. And in that time, I think what we've seen is the ETH price, the the, cut, the price of cards in ETH terms has stayed pretty much the same. It's gone down maybe a little bit recently, but not not massively so. Um, so I think I think the interesting one is would we have seen a massive increase in the price of cards in ETH terms if it wasn't for that ETH rise? And from what from what you guys are saying, you think absolutely yes. I, I think there's some sort of midpoint. I, I do think we are we have benefited from the, the ETH price going up so much, partly because of obviously the ETH rewards, but also um, in that I don't know if in fiat terms our cards would have gone up as much as they have if it wasn't for the ETH rise. Although at the same time, I do think if ETH crashed tomorrow, went down, 50% or whatever, I do think everyone would be delisting their cards straight away and we, we'd, you know, everyone be asking for, you know, double um, what they what they were selling for previously in ETH terms. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think I think the, the actual question uh, that or the, the scepticism that people might show prior to, to wanting to join, yes, it's the valuation of what happens if this goes this way, but it's, I, I tend to get the question, am I too late to buy ETH? Because the mindset is, oh, wow, the market has gone up, you know, threefold since you know december which is which is insane mm. and so yeah it's, it's almost like giving them the reassurance well if you went and bought ETH today at 1300 uh, to the pounds you know yes okay it could go back down to a thousand next week 800 but then it's the reassurance as you just said there george well if you bought a card for for one ETH today the chances are you would delist it if you were trading it and you'd relist it for one and a half ETH. i find it's it is more challenging to you know build and grow your portfolio in a rising market i mean 2019 was just incredible for those that got involved because you know we started i think the year around about two or three hundred to the uh, for a coin went to it dipped under a hundred for a coin before it then started rallying again but we all knew at that time or not didn't know but our philosophy was okay how many people today on Surair, if the market goes down if eth goes down by 30 percent tomorrow how many people dig in deep and go all right I'll find another few hundred quid and uh, I'll buy a little bit more ETH. Versus how many people, when they see ETH go from 700 quid to 1300 quid in very quick, uh, over a very few short space of time, how many people go, tell you what, yeah, let me buy another few hundred quids worth of uh, ETH today. So I think it's going to be really healthy and really interesting to see when the fir- when the market, and if the market does have any sort of you know reasonable retracement, and so far we've only been seeing retracement of 5 8% and it pretty much bounces uh, straight away off that but at some point i think we're going to wake up and there's going to be a 10 percent, 15 percent, maybe even a bigger crack in the market and then let's see how that affects the liquidity of people that are playing games like Surair. because i think there is money on the sidelines that's hesitant to buy into not the cards people still want to buy the cards now but they don't want to buy the eth to buy the cards but i don't think i think they'll realize quickly that if eth goes down tomorrow by 20 percent, yes they might feel more comfortable buying the eth but end up paying 20 percent extra for the cards anyway yeah I, I agree i think i think it actually would be quite healthy for the product um for you to have a little dip to see to see what would happen um let people buy in at a price they're more comfortable with um i think that would that would be really beneficial because it's, it's right you know uh, you know people see so rare right now from the outside they also know what's been going on in the bitcoin world um they know it's kind of doubled tripled over the last month or so and and straight away you can have reservations about buying in at the top if it is the you, top. you don't want to be that person do you like oh i've, I've missed the boat i've missed the boat i've missed the boat oh yeah they're telling me to do it okay i'm doing it oh next day our oh, sod's law has gone down 10 percent yeah exactly i think i think people will you know with, with a drop okay people do list the cards in fiat terms stay the same which is good for all the holders of course but also it means people who were reluctant to buy ETH at 1,300 or whatever it's at, at the moment actually buy the ETH uh, and get involved. And I think that's all beneficial for, you know, for everyone involved. I have another misconception if we want to move on from that one. Yeah, yeah go for it. Another misconception is the, you need to be into like Japanese football. I know from a lot of people who are in the football index space or footstock, they're predominantly focused on Premier League football at a stretch, Europe's top five leagues, at an absolute stretch, maybe some 
lower down uh, European leagues just for a bit of scouting. They all think you have to be into like really stick the MLS and stuff. And I did too. It's actually one of the biggest barriers that was for me. I just thought I just don't have time to watch more football. But you can definitely get involved, stick to the tournaments you know, albeit if you want to go champion, you probably have to play a bit more premium to compete. But, you know, you can come in the door and inevitably you'll end up watching Belgian football within about two months. It's just how it works. <laughs> That's what I was about to say. So you're, you're right. You absolutely can just stick to the, the European leagues that you you know. You could you could even stick to one or two that you you're really fond of. But most people that I speak to end up branching out very quickly, and and they get a lot of enjoyment from scouting and I suppose that's what you're getting that you you already know a lot of these players from the European club so it's just a case of buying them and being able to afford to, to buy all the ones you, you want whereas you get that bit of a, a thrill from actually doing a bit more raw research on on these players that you have no idea these leaks that you have no idea about and learning about them so obviously we had um, Dave Peters on on the other week there talking about the, the K-League <laughs> You know, people are getting really excited uh, about the, these niche leagues once they, they get involved. And yeah, I think as the MLS and the Asian leagues come back this year, we're going to see a lot more people getting quite quite involved and quite excited about them. But yeah, I agree with that. I think people, I think people get on the platform. They think about the Champion Europe players. They see maybe you know how hard it is to win. I think it's, it's maybe a bit more competitive in those divisions just because of the quality of some of the players. Uh, and they they look at MLS, they look at Asia, and I think they see that. I think it sees a big opportunity. So if I scroll through Twitter now, um, most people I, I talk to about so rare, they're much more excited about MLS, K-League, Jupiter League and whatever uh, than they are about actually the, the main leagues you, you'd focus on. So I think it, it's a combination of, oh, they see those leagues at first from the outside, I think, oh, I'm, I'm not interested in this league. But actually, once they get on it and they kind of see the opportunity there, and they see the opportunity to kind of research players and make money from those players, they're straight away like, oh, actually, no, I, I want this JD player. It, the first cards that you buy, chances are, I would imagine they're going to be cards that you you know the players or you'd like to own the players. And it only takes one or two transfers to, you know, your player goes from one club A to club B to club C. And all of a sudden, you know, you're you're following the player. And if that takes you to a new league, uh, you, you, you get sucked in that way as well. Yeah, I like that um, Ottoman card from Charlotte uh, in particular quite a cool one yeah so again he's been you know he's he's turned you know you mentioned Vanaken as well earlier John I mean these are cult players that have been around since 2018-19 and you know these are these are people that we've seen for three seasons now and Osserman's a classic example he's gone from Belgium to France to uh, Syria and you know okay we have and we've got now we've got the MLS guys that are, you know I think we've seen some MLS transfers where it's Austria I'm sure there's been some to, to Japan or Korea there's the um Baco, uh, that a lot of people are quite excited about. He's moved from San Jose to um, Bolsan, and there's a lot of chat about him being the next sort of senior level card. But loads of people picked him up for like a few quid a few months ago. So he's I know the guy that just went to Barnsley as well. Oh, um, champ- championship football, Daryl DK. That was like, yeah, 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 he's gone to Barnsley online. Yeah, on the same day that um, Rossi was actually linked with Reading, I was quite excited about that one for a few minutes. Um, <laughs> but that's it, it's 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 now it's it's it's. We talk about do you follow a particular league or do you follow a particular team? But now it's a case of you follow the journey of your card or a card. And if that opens up some possibility, right, well, I've only got to buy four teammates and now I can get involved in Asia uh, or four four teammates and I can get a full South American team on the go. You know, I've just had a thought of, by the way, talking about buying four teammates. I'm just having a look there while we're talking. And the bundles, do they ever do a bundle which is like a ready-to-go team? They probably are, but they're probably more luck than they are planned. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I think it has been been suggested and I think we'll probably see more development in that space as we go but definitely something get in the discord back in the day they were there were starter packs still the same you know bundles but I think they were structured but just got to the stage where the purpose of the packs originally was to get them into the hands of newer newer managers so that they could in one transaction have goalkeeper defender midfielder attack on one other player and off they go but what actually happened in reality was that the larger managers just kept buying the packs and stripping them off uh so which is why they got taken out which is then the next iteration was the the bundles that we see today so yeah normally if if there's a a good bundle yeah it will still end up in in a more experienced manager's collection but yeah there were purposely teams put together because 
they felt, yeah, that's the quickest way for someone to start out rather than having to buy five individual transactions and compete with people at auction. Because now it's easy. We've got an auction, what, every two or three minutes, 24 hours a day. So if someone signs up on the platform right now, you know, they could, you know, they've only got to be on the market for a, four, four, for a few hours and they can have five players and they'll be ready to go. Whereas wind the clock back 18 months, we maybe had five auctions per hour. So someone coming onto the market would then probably have to spend a few days competing with experienced managers to try and cobble together their first five to compete in a tournament which is yeah, why they had the bun uh, why they had the the teams go out there but again then the older managers kept buying the teams and only throwing back on the one they didn't want onto the market yeah, it's tough balancing that mm. the last one by the way one i have here that's a big one is the barrier to entry it's just the, the sheer price of cards at the minute uh, and the way i think of this is you kind of get out what you put in do you know if someone wanted to start with 100 quid with 200 quid they probably could it would just be a lot harder work and you'd be in the trenches and you'd have to you'd have to buy and sell smart and you'd have to work a bit harder but if you it is doable uh was it leads our way a couple of weeks ago yeah yeah great guest um as was siege today i really enjoyed both those pods um there's probably one in between i also enjoyed but like you can do it from a lower budget a lot of people think you have to come in with a massive budget to compete you don't you can start lower it's obviously just going to take a bit longer and you have to put in a bit more work to compensate but that's only really fair isn't it you know if you put in more money it's always going to be an easier process. I think the, the 0.02 right now gives people a really nice start. I think you can get you can get a team together for 150 quid, use a common keeper, and you will hit that threshold. You know, maybe one in two. I'm sure Leeds are, we would argue, a lot more than that. Uh, and it's a really, you know, good way of ticking over the east, getting you started and getting you going. I think the one thing I'd like to see so rare implement is a bit more... I think so. You can you can compete for that 0.02, but you can't really compete higher up. I know you got to pay to compete higher up, and obviously you have got people who put in a lot more than that, and you know, they kind of deserve what they get out of it. But in some ways, I'd really like to see some sort of midway between rookie and Division Four, where these these kind of newer users with smaller budgets can have the chance of winning a tournament. You know, the rewards don't have to be what they are at the top of All Star Division Four. That's just some sort of. Um, some sort of opportunity to win rather than just compete with a 0.02 I think would be a more um, exciting way for a newer user to start Start on Sarah. About a point. Well, we know Dan, Brian, and the crew—they're they're, they're avid listeners to the uh, to the podcast. So uh, hopefully they're listening again this week, and uh, they'll take that suggestion on board. Yeah, apparently they, they all listen to it. Well, they they go out in their Sunday morning jogs. It's a highlight of their, their weekend. Apparently, I heard they stop going down <laughs> the pub these days on a Friday. They wait for it and, uh, and and they listen to it in the office, and they don't leave until they've uh, listened to every single last word. That's it. That's it. I've heard that too. <laughs> So I think that takes us on to, to looking at game week 142, the 12th of February to the, the 16th. And we have a, a weekly special. So 200 rare goalkeepers up for grabs. So the, the highest 200 placing managers will, will get a, a rare goalkeeper there. And um, so I think that they are from specific leagues, aren't they? So they are from Mexico, MLS, K-League and J-League. There we go. Thank you to my assistant there. And so in, in the game week, the, the weekly special, any card scarcity is allowed. But the, the max last five average has to be below or 45 and below. Can you use all my Liverpool players then. Hey! <laughs> you definitely can. <laughs> but I've seen a few interesting posts. Obviously, the, the last five takes into account players who have maybe had a, a do not play. So I know I've got a, a Laconga who had hit a, a 99 on his last match, but he had three do not plays. And he's a normally a player who averages more than a, a 50. So it's quite nice to be able to get that that player in. But that's the nature of the competition, isn't it? And it should be you'll be able to, to find those anomalies players who are sitting under a 45 but are maybe capable of a, of a 75 yeah i think this is a great one i think i think it's probably the best weekly um there's been i, I have enjoyed the way they've kind of revamped it over the last few weeks but this one really takes a biscuit having having that many you know keepers up for grabs as well should hopefully uh increase the supply briefly um in those areas as well and make it a little bit cheaper for for new users to get on board when uh clearly can j-league starts and then when mls starts a, a few weeks after that so this week where are we? We're hoping. What games are you guys looking forward to the most? Um, there's a lot of games I'm looking forward to watching, but in terms of like targeting players with great fixtures, I think obviously a lot of people will probably go if they have them. Bayern heavy would be a good fixture. Bayern and Leverkusen, Bayern and Leverkusen both look really good in Champions, mm-hmm. especially with Italy having some tough fixtures. Like I think uh, Lazio and Napoli, Juve and um, 
Inter are all tied up, aren't they? So I think that the two Germans... Muller got COVID today, didn't he? So, and you don't think that uh, Munich at home to uh, Bielfield, you don't think they'll have a, maybe some rest rotation there after travelling out Probably, to the actually. That, that's always the killer with this. Do you know, if the fixtures you target... If you thought you were going to pick your teams nice and easy this week, John, I'm just going to throw some, uh, some curveballs in there and you're going to be like, <laughs> it's going <laughs> to take you time to make your teams now. Tell me this, help me with this. Will Quebec get a game anytime soon? Wow. <laughs> Uh, if the last run of Liverpool results means that they've bought two defenders and they won't play them, then yeah, I think Quebec starts. Um, I think Fabinho wasn't at training today. And so I would expect uh, Quebec to start. And, and if they can, put Henderson back in midfield. If not, Quebec and Henderson might be the back line. Uh, or maybe Quebec and Phillips even this week. But yeah, I think Liverpool got to get back to getting Hendo back in midfield. And you know, if they've bought Quebec and they, you know, we've got nothing really realistic to pay for for the rest of the season, you know, and we've got six months to take a look at this kid. Let's blood him in there and uh, yeah. let's see what he can do. But there's a lot make, of favourable fixtures. make decisions off the back of my, off the back of my calls. Well, he's in my special <laughs> weekly already because of that. So I've basically got, the, I've got like 10 players with COVID. That's why their scores are so crap. And it's trying to work out who's actually going to be back. It's killing me this special weekly. Like. And I was just saying, I think, I think the Conger is the real, the real standout that I've seen so far in terms of who can finish that weekly, um, who's, who's likely to bang out a decent score. Yeah, I think so. He's obviously, he normally has quite a, a high average. We know he's, he's had a 99 in, in the last game, but he's somebody that you'd expect to put in a, above the 50 at least. You mentioned Germany, and you mentioned Leverkusen, and you mentioned Munich. I'm surprised you didn't mention Taiwo Awani at home to Schalke. That's, that's got hat-trick written all over it, surely. <laughs> you never know, actually. It might, it might be your chance. <laughs> Probably the week of DMPs. No, so. For me, it's a, it's an Mbappé week. It's got to be an Mbappé week this, this week. Yeah, you know, Monaco v Lorient. So the, the hopes are definitely on, on Fallen with a big score there. And PSG v Nice with Neymar out, taking a, a four weeks off for his, his sister's birthday. <laughs> it seems to be it's Mbappé's time to shine, isn't it? You know, I think we've, you know, maybe perhaps overlooked the fact that we've still got us, <laughs> the era de Visay which is the newest league on the platform. It caused a lot of hype when the players came in. But uh, I find myself, it's not the, the first go-to league that I look to for matches, even though I've picked up a few uh, of the of the players. Um, perhaps we just haven't all got into it yet. Does anyone here watch uh, any of the Dutch football? I haven't watched too much Dutch football, but I've definitely been paying much more attention to the results and stuff since I picked up a couple of... Tell you what, by the way, Vitesse, Jacob Rasmussen, best buy of my year. What a guy. So he'll be getting a run out this week against FC20. Then you'll leave 100%. Yeah, those are some nice scores. Yeah, whenever the I was basically, you know, down to the special with the RN Robin was up for grabs, you needed to have an Eredivisie player. Yeah, yeah, it's like who can I pick up here in the next sort of 24 hours relatively cheap? And he popped up pretty high on average scores through Solar Data. So thanks to them, pretty cheap, just a 106 pound player. But well, I mean, yeah, like, relative you, you can't pick scores. up. Well, you can't pick them up for that price now. So, I mean, so we're all agreed. At... We're, 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 long, we're long France this week and uh, a bit of Germany thrown in, are we? I think so for me, yeah. Um, see, I've got quite a few Premier League players. So West Ham are at home to Sheffield United. So you could have Rice and Touche in, in there for me. Uh, we never know. Does Suchet's ban? Isn't he banned? Is he? Did he? Did the ban actually go for it? I think it overturned. Yeah, yeah, I thought. I'll be, I'll be yeah, surprised if it didn't. Okay, great. That's good to hear. I was watching it. I was even. Even I was a little bit passionate. I, I always seem to have a Suchek in uh, Division Four somewhere. I didn't this week, but I felt pretty sorry for him because that was just horrific refereeing. Yeah, I left him out this week, so I wasn't sure, but yeah, I think I can put him in safely now. And Achoya, he's back from COVID. Anyone that's uh, he's uh, playing the old Liga MX game, Club America at home and underestimate uh, Ochoa. What about some of the, the head-to-head so teams that are on Surreal so we've got Napoli and Juve Inter Lazio some it's others as well against uh, Real Madrid yep yeah, that's a big one as well yeah. what do you te- what do you guys tend to do there do you avoid those fixtures so I personally do um, I'll you know, unless one of them is a, the dominating team, but they're all f- fairly strong sides, so these fixtures can can go either way. But it will depend. Obviously, that doesn't necessarily always matter in your lineups. You can have players from we've talked about it before, players from a, opposing sides in the same lineup do quite well for you. But I think just psychologically in my head, I tend to avoid that, and I tend to go with a team that I think are going to dominate. And and maybe that's a, a flawed way of thinking. That maybe doesn't necessarily matter that much on Serie. Goalkeepers, goalkeepers and forwards I try and avoid. Other than that, not not massively. Obviously you need a clean sheet really if you're gonna hit the hit the high scores. So can't have the forward in the same game. 
Yep, that's fair. Mm. Yeah, competing teams, I wouldn't be adding them to the same lineup if at all avoidable. Sometimes maybe two midfielders if I need to, and even just weaken strong fixtures. I always like. I think you try and build your lineups the best you can. Maybe prioritizing different divisions and different. You know, you might. I, I always try to go global and then I'll look at the special and then maybe I'll go for the champion and I kind of make them that way like as strong as possible prioritize them and when you get down to the nitty-gritty based where I'm at getting to under 23s maybe there have to be some sacrifices and maybe then I'll play Napoli against Juventus do you know yeah, yeah and I think it's it's, it's horse for courses isn't it it's, depends on, on who you've got in your collection and what you can put out there yeah, I think on 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 games like this, I would tend if it's if it's a closer matchup on paper, I would tend to stick those players if I needed to use them in the All Star one to four, and I'd put what I think is a stronger lineup in the regional, or you know, again depending on the prize. Certainly, Euro champions, I'd probably steer clear of the the bigger matchups, and I'm more inclined to put Juventus into an All Star team this week rather than Euro champions too. But then again, it depends on you know what what prize you might be going for. I think we've I think it's worth paying attention to the prizes now. You know, we're getting towards the latter part of the season. There's a lot of uh, super rares now, which are going to be harder, if not possible to win because they've been won so many times or they've been auctioned so many times i know there's people that are tracking uh, the amount of times they've seen super rares at auctions and they've seen super rares come out as prizes uh, so again i think that's definitely worth paying attention to as well as part of your decision making process to where you put your players yeah i think that that's fair so lots of decisions this week but always good to to have all these games and all these choices so george john it's been a been a pleasure. Thank you very much for for both coming on. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks, guys. It's been a been a pleasure. John, do you want to give a, a wee plug to your your channel? Oh yeah, my my name's just John Ellis. It'll probably be in the podcast somewhere. You can find me on Twitter. I have a YouTube channel, and I kind of make content about whatever's floating my boat on any given week across all these platforms. So it's a new video yeah. every day. Check it. Check that out. Do we have More to search less. for Big John Danny Pereco Ellis or just John Ellis? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe actually try it on YouTube. And see don't, it don't, <laughs> don't, do not search that term, Mark. You do not want to know what comes up under that term online. It's a dark world out there. Yeah. No, thanks very much for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. Again, just to reiterate, I'm pretty gutted. I won't have it to listen to this week, but looking forward to next week's. Yeah, and good luck everyone that's listening to uh, you in this upcoming game week 142. Let's see how many of us can get the one of these uh, 200 goalkeepers. So that brings us to the end of today's Sorier Global Fantasy Football Podcast. I hope you found it useful. And as always, if you could like, subscribe and leave a review, then we can help introduce the fantastic concept to more users. See you next time. Mm-hmm.